friends, this is Brian Amick, and welcome to episode 10 of Project 39. We have a special guest joining us today. He's a Madison native, currently serving as the city's 36th mayor, Bob Courtney. Mayor Courtney generously offered to take time from his busy schedule to sit down with me, so we met at his office down at City Hall. Uh, we hope to come up with 40 to 45 minutes of good content for this episode, and we end up going for almost an hour and 45 minutes. So it turned into quite a long conversation, but a lot of good content here. Uh, due to the length of this, I'm going to have to split it into two episodes. I'll release the second part on Monday, January 31st. As always, I ask you to help me grow the show and spread the word. Share this with your friends and neighbors. We cover a lot of information about Madison and what's going on. And if you know somebody that would be affected by one of these topics, give them a heads up. They might want to hear about it. Uh, I'd also be glad to hear what you think on our Facebook page. You can leave a comment there. If you got a comment or a question that you prefer to keep private, you can reach me by email at project39pod at gmail.com. All right, let's get on with the show. Mayor Bob Courtney, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good afternoon, Brian. I am doing awesome, and again, thank you for inviting me to uh, join you today. I appreciate you taking your time. I know you're busy, and uh, it means a lot that you would uh, block some time for me to come down here and talk to you. Well, there's, so lot, there's lots going on. I love to share uh, what's going on here in Madison, so again, thanks for the invitation. Cool. Okay. Uh, before we get into that, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. So uh, you're originally from Madison, is that correct? That's correct. Been here my entire life. Okay. Grew up downtown on Walnut Street. Um my dad was a truck driver. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have five older sisters, and I'm the uh, youngest of six and the only boy. Oh, wow. Okay. So what's the age gap there? What's the age range uh, on About the, 10 years. 10 years? Between the youngest so and the oldest. There was like, yeah, there was about like two, two, uh, two clubs of, of kids. There was the older sisters, mm-hmm. and, then, and then I have two sisters who were closer to me in age. Okay. And then after, so we talked earlier, you graduated from Madison High School. 1981. 1981. And uh, after that, college? Went to Ball State. Graduated okay. there in 1985 and uh, uh, went right into, into the workforce. Uh, worked for the Indiana Department of Financial Institutions right out of college, which was great because I, I always wanted a banking career. So, so why did you study at Ball State? I studied finance and accounting. Oh, okay. Uh, Also ran track and cross country for two years at Ball State. Uh, Paid my own way through college, so I had to uh, stop after a couple of years of being a walk-on and uh, get a job to to support myself through school. Yeah, that's that's good, though. Uh, So tell us about your career then after after college. What what did you do? Yeah, I started, as I said, as a a commercial bank examiner, which was a fantastic experience. And I, I really just got lucky because... I always wanted to live and work in Madison, Indiana. And uh, back in the 80s, particularly in a professional career that was banking, it was hard to get a career started there. And so commercial bank examining was a great opportunity. Um, I really enjoyed it, learned a lot, particularly just the foundational um, uh, structure and management of banks. I became one of the youngest senior commercial bank examiners for DFI. And um, I was recruited by uh, Dean Hawkins, who was the president of the State Bank of Salem in Salem, Indiana, okay. to come to work for him. But uh, I was always fortunate to, because just through happenstance, 
Russ Doan, who was uh, a commercial bank examiner too, he was from Paoli, Indiana, and his family owned uh, a bank over in Orange County. And as I was coming on board to start doing my training, I was actually going to be assigned to northern Indiana, which, which is where I was going to have to relocate because mm-hmm. you had to live in the district in which you were serving. At that okay. point in time, back in the 80s, they had four districts, and um, the, a, a spot in the southern district was not available. Okay. Uh, but uh, while I was there during my training, and the training was only going to be a couple weeks long um, at headquarters at state office building in Indianapolis, Russ left to go work for his family bank. And uh, Randy Rowe, who I'll never forget some of these names, Randy Rowe and John Simmons, who were great mentors of mine when I was just coming out of college and really wanted to get started. And Al Raven, too. He was the the, uh, the elder senior commercial bank examiner, learned so much from those guys and Jeff Dugan and all of them. They were part of the team, and now they had an opening. And um, just through happenstance, uh, I was offered to uh, – take on the the role of commercial bank examiner for the Southern District, and Madison was included in that Southern District. So that border really was south of Columbus all the way down to Evansville and New Harmony. So it was a big district, but I could live anywhere anywhere in the district. And coincidentally, now my dream started coming true, which was to – uh, at least live in Madison and have a job where I could where I could live here because I uh, married my high school sweetheart Tammy uh, Bacchus. Uh, we mm-hmm. went to high school together, started dating when we were 15. We also went to college together at Ball State, and she started working immediately at King's Daughters Hospital right out of college in 1986 while I was doing the commercial bank examining thing. And so I have an opportunity to to live down here was uh, was fantastic to be closer to family, but. You know, I had to I had to drive a lot. I had to start mm-hmm. my my career, frankly, of uh, commuting, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about. But uh, it uh, was fantastic to be able to live here in Madison, where I grew up. Yeah, that, you are fortunate. A lot of people, uh, yeah, don't get to come home. You know, they got to go elsewhere. Well, and, and what I learned careers. along the way too, particularly raising my own kids, is when you're young, you may not want to live where you grew up. Right. Yeah. But Madison was always home for me, and I always loved Madison. And, and although over time I could have lived anywhere in the country because I traveled all over the United States career-wise, never wanted to live anywhere uh, other than Madison, Indiana. And uh, over over these last you know few decades of my professional career, Madison has just gotten better and better. Okay. So after the uh, bank examining job, where did the career go? Um, I was recruited by President Hawkins to um, start with a new job that he was creating over there at State Bank of Salem, State Bank of Salem uh, on the square there Mm -hmm. as an operations officer. And uh, State Bank of Salem was a rural bank, and they were looking for ways to just kind of, you know, improve operations and, you know, really position the bank better in their marketplace. But that also led into a lot of opportunity. It, It opened the doors for me for a banking career. And uh, the unique thing was um, I was um, not only operations officer, but I was assistant controller. So I started learning a lot about the financial aspects of the day-to-day operations of a bank and management of a bank. And that led into more opportunities because President Hawkins there, for whatever reason, saw some potential in me. Mm-hmm. And he um, he sponsored me to go to the uh, uh, Stonier Graduate School of Banking at the University of Delaware, which is – it probably still is, but de- definitely back then was the premier senior wow. um, um, master's level banking program in the country, and that was a three-year program. But I did that while I was working at the State Bank of Salem. Wow. 
And I've said this a few times before too, Brian, that I've been bought and sold several times because back then uh, banking laws were just starting to be changed so that there could be cross county and 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 breaking the borders for for banking charters. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't there, but a few years before the State Bank of Salem was acquired by Commerce America Bank, which was acquired by Indiana National yeah. Bank. And through a series of, of just different steps there, uh, I was given more and more opportunity and eventually it landed down in the Louisville, Kentucky market working for Indiana National Bank. And that's really where I think my career started blossoming because I was promoted into a commercial real estate lending position. And I'll never forget uh, an, another great friend and mentor, Jim Wheatley, said, I don't know what you know, mm-hmm. but I'm willing to take a chance on you. And uh, he took a chance on me, and with uh, a good work ethic and a, just a thirst for learning, uh, I I excelled in in that role, and and that led into other opportunities. Yeah, that's awesome. So, and then you decided to run for mayor. Yeah, so. you skipped a whole thing there. <laughs> I mean, we we went from the '80s all the way to now, but oh, that was still in the '80s. This then. was that was still in the '80s when okay. when when we were when we acquired, and so oh, in, let's fill in the gap. Then. In 1996, um, uh, another opportunity came about again through happenstance, and, and mm-hmm. if you don't mind, I'll share the story with you oh, because yeah, you you've heard the old adage that. Uh, life is a journey, not a destination, mm-hmm. right? And so it's so true when you kind of trace your, your steps and your roots back, um, even though I'm, I'm where exactly I'm probably meant to be because I believe that we're, we're placed in uh, time and place and circumstances where you're most needed, there's, all, there's always some type of divine you know, influence mm-hmm. that gets you there uh, for, whatever, for whatever reason. Um, in 1996, uh, one of my colleagues was in the office next to me, and I was working uh, for INB in uh, downtown Jeffersonville in the commercial real estate lending group. And he comes over to me and says, hey, I got a call from a recruiter from PNC Bank, but I, I don't, I'm not really interested in that, but maybe you are. Maybe you should give him a call. I said, I don't know what the job entails, mm-hmm. but I'll give him a call. And I called the recruiter and met with them, and it turned out to just be a fantastic opportunity to go to an even bigger financial institution, bigger than INB at the time, and um, join their real estate lending group. And, and that opened up a whole other world for me as well. That really kind of became my, my passion and my career of, uh, of working all across the country in affordable housing. And um, I ended up spending almost 20 years with with PNC and in a very niche real estate uh, group that did affordable housing lending and investing all over the country. And I was a senior vice president and um, managed a national platform for lending and investing, probably involved in over $10 billion worth of transactions, but housing oriented. And so I visited lots of communities, worked with lots of different partnerships and for-profits, non-profits, housing authorities, state agencies, all across the country, from yeah, coast, you, from coast to coast. Did you mostly focus on like single residence homes? It was all or, it was all affordable housing, so it was mostly multifamily okay. for seniors and families. Okay, but it really opened my eyes up to um, a few things: um, poverty mm-hmm. in one, living conditions that people are subjected to all across the country, and 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 frankly, it also it just in increased my appreciation for Madison mm-hmm. because Madison's always been, in my opinion, just a fantastic community. 
But when we go to some of these other larger uh, urban areas and you see how the density in which people live and the traffic and and the housing opportunities, I should say the lack of housing opportunities mm-hmm. that they actually have, what became my life's work was something where I could do do good as mm-hmm. well uh, across the country by you know investing uh, for my for my employer. Uh, we started a syndication business at PNC Real Estate, so we were doing lending and investing. I was uh, involved in writing the white paper that that kind of created a whole national platform for merging syndication and lending uh, for for that particular space, mm-hmm. and it became a big business for for PNC and was great for for me as well professionally and also you know just for giving back to the to the communities yeah. and one of my very first affordable housing deals ended up being here in Madison, Indiana. Um, a friend of mine from high school was uh, converting the old um, junior high school down on Broadway Street oh, okay. into a senior living uh, using uh, low-income housing tax credits and historic tax credits. Mm-hmm. And so I was involved in you know, raising the capital that he needed in order to finance the construction and uh, restoration of that particular project. But that, that really became my, my life's work, which was, which was affordable housing, investing, and lending. And uh, again, it, it, it opened me up to a whole world beyond the borders mm-hmm. of Southern Indiana. And when you go to you know, places like, you know, uh, L.A. or New Jersey or New York or uh, Miami and um, every place in between, in, in between. I spent a lot of time in Texas, too. And you saw rural and urban and suburban. Um, and I, I think that that created for me not only a, a love for giving back, but also, you know, what can we do better? What are those best practices who are doing it really, really well? So in, in I did that for many, many years. And then I retired from that industry in 2018. And um, probably about eight or 10 years before that, my wife and I, Tammy, my, my wife, Tammy, we had started a real estate investment company here in Madison. Okay. So you were oh, doing both. At we that were doing time. both. You, you we did your... it. Started that as a hobby. Okay. And we started, um, we started, you know, buying properties uh, in the downtown in the historic district that mm-hmm. had been run down. We wanted to improve the neighborhoods and take our life savings and start investing it back in in the community and so we formed a a company called fountain holdings and that be kind of that came be that became you know our platform for investing all across the community and uh in 2018 my intentions were retire get off the road Mm -hmm. i like we were talking about earlier i'd flown about a million and a half miles lived in and out of hotels uh spent a tremendous amount of time away from home and i was ready to be home and uh, being mayor, coincidentally, is the first job I've ever had in Madison as oh, a, yeah. as a professional. So this was my opportunity to live and work in the community that that I loved, but also take that experience that I've had all across the country and develop these best practices, and and also um, continue to reinvest in in our community. And we've invested in over 15 properties in historic downtown Madison. Well, that's neat, and then. And and well, and then becoming mayor, you before you were elected, you uh, kind of had to step up, got put in a situation, right? Uh, yeah. So I I had my, my entry into politics was really late late in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very busy traveling, and I was involved in my my, my kids' lives. Obviously, um, I have two two children, Miles and Lindsay, and um, you know I. I, politics was something I, I was always interested in, but never really pursued much. Uh, I will tell you a quick story, which mm-hmm. is my early interest in politics came from 
uh, my wife, uh, Tammy, her grandfather, uh, Walter Backus. And he had a huge influence on me with regards to being aware of our surroundings. And uh, he was a World War II veteran. He was mm-hmm. part of that great generation. Yep. And he was a blue-collar worker. And he was, you know, you, you, you never guessed where he was standing or what he was thinking because he was honest and he would just tell you, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it also produced an opportunity to have some great exposure to perspectives that are out there about what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, I gradually um, got involved here locally in, in politics and in, in the background, you know, working on helping recruit other candidates and, and helping other people with their campaigns. But that also re- just reminded me as I g- went through that process how important public policy is to our daily lives. Mm-hmm. And it also became uh, a passion of mine to be well-informed about how can we improve public policy to improve our lives. And um, so, yes, uh, in 2019, when Mayor Welch um, indicated he was not going to run for re-election, I was the chair of the Republican Party at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, some people had asked me to consider running for mayor, so I stepped down as the chair and ran for mayor, ran into a, I had a contested primary, and then uh, went on to win the primary and, and went on to win the uh, general election in November. But something very uh, unfortunate happened mm-hmm. prior to that general election in November 2019, which is Mayor Welch passed away in office yeah. unexpectedly. Uh, tragedy for the community. Uh, yeah. He was at the end of his second term. He was fulfilling uh, his eighth year in office. He had uh, some great initiatives underway that he never got to see to fruition. Yeah. And I was caucused in in October 2019 as to finish his term, mm-hmm. which went to the end of the year. And um, I, I look at it in in this type of analogy, which is I was handed off the baton, yeah. uh, Mayor Welch and Mayor Armstrong and um, Mayor uh, Huntington and and all the mayors before me, all my predecessors. Mm-hmm. They have a unique opportunity, and it's an honor to carry the baton and represent the the good citizens of the city of Madison and work with other elected leaders in the county, um, uh, uh, across the state, and also also at the national level. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, so t- tell us about how's how's the trans. It might not have been so difficult for you since you in your private career. It uh, sounds like you worked a lot with, well, if you're doing affordable housing, you yeah. had to be involved with a lot of government agencies. But how was it transitioning to the other side of that transaction, where now you, you are the one on the government side? The, um, the biggest difference is when you're in the corporate world, everything moves very quickly and change happens very rapidly. And there's also an expectation of performance. Everything was performance-based. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Everything was performance-based. Everything was data-driven. Uh, everything was analytical, mm-hmm. particularly in the finance world and the high finance world in which I, I lived with regards to affordable housing because it was investments. It, was about, it wasn't just about building affordable housing, but we had to work with developers. We had to work with nonprofit. We had a lot of stakeholders there. But at the end of the day, it was somebody else's money that we were accountable for, mm-hmm. and uh, we ended up, like I said, originating billions and billions of dollars of, of loans and, uh, and tax credit equity investments. So the transition was, was harder than I probably estimated because 
government doesn't move near as nimbly and and quickly as private enterprise does. And so, but what we've done is, I think, is accelerated that traditional pace of change um, in our taking uh, this office and and myself with my staff, I have, in my opinion, one of the best staffs that has ever um, occupied City Hall. And I'm, and I'm not just saying that mm-hmm. because I'm mayor. I'm saying that because the quality of people who work for the city of Madison today are exceptional. Mm-hmm. And I would compare them up to any, any community. And they work very, very hard. And they work for um, you know, compensation that generally is below, uh, right. below market. But the, the difference is, is just the pace of change is, is a little slower on the mm-hmm. government side. And part of that's, part of that's intentional, right, yeah. because we are – representing another form of government you got to be a little more methodical you've got to go through some processes there's checks and balances well, which are as I say it's a good thing you don't want to be there. knee-jerk reaction rightly to, there. to everything yeah. but at the same time you know what what lags generally as I've talked to other mayors across the the state not just Madison but other mayors as cuz we all we all talk at at conferences and it's a great network of resources is that Cities and, and governments have not done a very good job of keeping up with systems and investing in technology and using uh, technology to, to improve mm-hmm. how we operate. And we have to squeeze every penny we can out of operations because less and less of our annual budgets coming from um, property taxes. So we okay. have to find ways to create new revenues yeah. in order to um, take on the key initiatives that we have in order to grow our community in order to facilitate all of these these things that we love about Madison to make it, you know, high qual- high quality of life, high standards, and we're doing that. But uh, that's 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 part of the yeah. that's part of the finesse, I think, which is to try to create that right balance. And we have a great city council. I want to mention we have great elect- other elected leaders throughout our community that we're working with who mm-hmm. are who are partners of ours. Sometimes we have conflict, yeah. conflict, uh, but that's that's the know, natural pro- process. Not of, always bad. Yeah. You know. So. Uh, yeah, so in your financial world, right, and you mentioned everything's performance-based, and it's easy, I would imagine it's probably easy to to measure performance, right? It's, it's, it's dollars a lot of times. In the private sector, it's, you know, did we make money? Uh, so that doesn't necessarily work in the in the public right. sector how do how do you how do you measure success now i mean what uh, well what, in the private world uh it is about return on investment mm-hmm. and revenues in in the um in the government world uh, there are parts of our city operations that are very business oriented that have only been operated like a government agency mm-hmm. so you know the old adage that good enough for government work sometimes yeah. uh that culture uh, sits in and it it stops change but what we've been able to do is start dissecting that and and even in instances where we've just had to take traditional transactional type information and start compiling it into a management information tool and once we compile that data and we create this information set now we can start making informed decisions that fit Mm -hmm. in with our strategic planning so when, when i ran for mayor we had three really simple pillars of our campaign that then distilled down into different initiatives. And it was about public safety, economic opportunity, uh, and quality of life. Yeah. And those are three really those are three, simple. Those are three good ones. Those are three yeah. things. And we can even distill, we even distilled that down into a three word mission statement, clean, safe, and beautiful. 
And so when you start thinking about clean, safe, and beautiful, and everything that that and and public safety and economic opportunity and quality of life. Now we can really start taking that and distilling it down into action plans. Okay. And we have long vision, you know, things that are in the long view that we know is going to take five, six, sometimes it might take us a decade to complete mm-hmm. some of the things we're working on. But along the way, there's always the opportunity for quick wins. And that builds momentum. Right. Uh, that builds excitement about the initiative that you're working on. It builds engagement. And I think that's what we've been good about, which is creating that level of engagement. The pace of change has probably been hard for some people, mm-hmm. but um, my staff here is fantastic, and um, I couldn't do what I'm doing here every day without them because they're the ones that are out there making the dream. Mm-hmm. And when I say my dream is clean, a clean, safe, and beautiful Madison, Indiana, they're all making it happen. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot with that okay. then. Uh, without calling out everybody, because okay. we don't have all day, who, who are some of your key team members? Who... Okay. Yeah. Um, some great ones, honestly, and, and um, I know I'll leave somebody out. I know. But I know. I, 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 it's, I like, it's like your Academy Award acceptance yeah. speech. You I do can't wanna, name I, everybody. I do want to start by saying that everybody plays an important role. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. But, you know, I had um, a Deputy Mayor Minnie McGee. Okay. Uh, she was my chief staff coming on board, and one of the things that we did that maybe we can talk about a little bit later is the change – one of the changes we made that we created the deputy mayor position, which is about succession planning. Okay. That's also something that in the corporate world, there's always succession yeah. planning yeah. happening. In in government, um, sometimes we just let the government tell us mm-hmm. what our succession planning is going to be. And so there are rules and stuff in place that say, if you don't do this, then you have to do that. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's kind of a binary decision uh, that you have to make. And we wanted to be more intentional about that. And so we worked with city council, and I'm grateful for uh, 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 second district councilman Curtis Chatham, who picked up uh, and really understood the the whole in, intention and meaning and, and benefit about succession planning. And so we worked very closely together on, you know, within the state confines, the state statute that helped us craft our ordinance. Uh, myself and Councilman Chatham uh, and the rest of the city council, eventually we worked really hard on yeah. creating that deputy mayor position. And that's about succession planning. Well, that's Because you oh, just mentioned some of, the, some of the things you're working on. You're not going to be here. Well, as I said earlier, yeah. we're I'm carrying a baton. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm working on things that Mayor Welch started that he didn't see into mm-hmm. fruition. He worked on things from Mayor Armstrong. Mayor Armstrong worked on things from Mayor Huntington. And, and it is a cascading effect. Mm-hmm. That's part of the honor of being. But you got to have some continuity there. in there somewhere you too. Have, so. You definitely yeah. have to have the continuity, yep. and 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 there's probably no single person on my staff than Deputy Mayor McGee that that works with me closely or most closely on all of these key initiatives because there's a budgeting element to it, there's a policy element, there's the the execution, there's mm-hmm. the community engagement, there's all of the contracting that goes into place, but. Um, Chief Wallace also was a very, very important hire. If, if I might, I'd love to tell a story about, mm-hmm, about sure. Chief Wallace. So this is his second stint as the city of Madison chief of police, mm-hmm. but he was also uh, a two-term elected uh, Jefferson County Sheriff. Right. And when I came into office, I didn't want to go straight to political appointments like, like most mayors or they do. Mm-hmm. We wanted to be really thoughtful because – when I said earlier about what were our key initiatives, what's our what's our pillars, 
the, the number one pillar was public safety. And so we knew that we have to absolutely get that right. And public safety is a really comprehensive thing. It's not just about law enforcement. Mm-hmm. It literally is about the feeling of being safe. The fact that Madison is a small community, but over the course of a weekend or a summer, our population can double and triple mm-hmm. in a heartbeat in a weekend. Right. You know, we're 12,500, 12,600 people, but not uncommon for us to have, you know, festivals that might have 40, 50,000 people mm-hmm. come in here over the course of a weekend. More than that uh, in, in some, with some of our festivals. So we had to get public safety right. And we also knew that we had to, uh, we had to reverse some, some negative trends that were occurring uh, with our police department. And, and the biggest negative trend was just turnover. We had to make sure we had the, the best paid, most professional, best trained uh, officers that we could put. And I'll match our police officers and our detective resources and the changes that we made with MPD against any, any police department. We were, we were really, in my opinion, on the leading edge of a lot of different things. But Chief Wallace was a really critical hire. And the story I like to tell about this is not just Chief Wallace, but also Major McKay, Ben McKay down there. And when we did our, we did a national search. Mm-hmm. We formed a, we formed a um, recruit, uh, selection committee, and uh, and then had very experienced people on it. We had a county prosecutor, a member of our board of public works, uh, state senator Jack Sandlin, who lives in Indianapolis but has a home in Madison. is a good friend of mine, and he was on that. And he has a law enforcement background, so we had we had all this expertise, and I knew that I couldn't make this decision myself. You know, I was, a, I was a kid that grew up on Walnut Street that had a great career in finance and, and investments, and now I need to lead a city. And yeah. so I, I've never been shy about asking for help. And so I asked them to help us um, undertake this national selection committee. And we went through dozens and dozens of applications for um, lots of experienced people who wanted to be Madison's next chief of police. And as we... As we started going through that refinement process, mm-hmm. we drilled it down to maybe um, five or six top candidates. Mm-hmm. And two of those top candidates were uh, John Wallace and Ben McKay. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the irony in, of me telling you the story is that we did a national search, but the best candidates who offered the best experience for what we needed and wanted to accomplish in the city of Madison was John Wallace and Ben McKay. They were already here. And they were, they, those, you know, that, that path led us back to Madison. And I was just really proud of the fact that uh, two of our top candidates saying these weren't, this wasn't mm-hmm. my opinion saying these were the top two candidates. This was the selection committee saying mm-hmm. these are the top two candidates. And uh, so we ended up with uh, John Wallace and Ben McKay leading our police department. And I couldn't be more prouder of the, of the changes and, and their leadership in, in there. Um, Public safety also, it it goes beyond law enforcement, Mm -hmm. but it's also how do you manage uh, an all-volunteer fire department? Yeah. And how does Madison carry on that 175-year tradition of uh, fantastic fire service? And uh, um, Chief Bill DeVries, who was appointed by uh, Mayor Welch, Mm -hmm. um, interviewed him, and he's another fantastic addition. You know, there's there's few people that when you go to bed at night, and you're already worried about what the next day is going to bring for the city because of all the challenges we face. 
I always rest easy because I know that uh, from a fire protection and law enforcement, City of Madison is in really, really good hands, mm -hmm. and then they partner with the other their colleagues across the, across the county. And some point through this, I'd love to tell you about uh, last night's city council meeting too, because it was a highlight for me. Okay, we'll, we'll but work, we'll work moving that on. Moving on. So, so yeah, we were talking about public safety, and and then now we got to talk about streets. Tony Sorrells. City of Madison has about 60 miles of streets and about 40 miles of sidewalks. Mm -hmm. And we're a unique town because we've got the river, we've got Main Street, we've got Clifty Drive, we have all these, you know, this historic district and subdivisions. We've just got so much going on for a, a little town mm -hmm. like ours. And so Tony Sorrells was a tremendous uh, um, um, street superintendent for us. And again, another mm -hmm. Mayor Walter appointment. And, and again, our goal was to. Let's have the best people. Right. It wasn't Not, about changing. Have to be your people. Right. It wasn't cha about changing people at all. It was about it was about having the right people who believed in what we wanted to accomplish. Um, and our staff is just uh, tremendous. Tammy Acosta, I can't say enough about her. She mm -hmm. was she was Mayor Welch's uh, executive assistant, and she has been uh, just uh, uh, what I would say is that 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 anchor for our office and so many others across uh, across the city but brian jackson on the water side and again clean water mm -hmm. sanitation water and sewer we have our own utility company uh, which is unique for a small town yeah um so how do we how do we manage through that and building and planning with uh, nicole shell and again we, we have also a fantastic young group of people okay um Nicole's very young. Uh, Matt Woolard, we brought him in to help lead us through our vision of an improved parks department because, again, parks department was something that, um, with the city of Madison having over two dozen parks, mm -hmm. quality of life is really important. Okay. So we need to get that right. And um, economic development, we just hired Tony Tony Steinhardt, but but uh, Matt Worth got us got us going in the right direction that we needed to get. We integrated, we brought economic development in, and integrated under the, the mayor's office rather than it being a third party separate entity. Right. We felt like it was more aligned to do economic development for, you know, we had a, we had a, we had these three pillars and economic opportunity was one of the most, op, was one of the most important ones. Mm -hmm. So how do we do that? And the way we do that is that by taking the apparatus that we have uh, available to the city and integrating it. And then, um, you know, I'm just everybody who is who's made the contribution uh, in in all the departments um, to to affect this clean, safe, and beautiful strategy. Um, I'm sure I'm I'm missing some people, but I'm going to bring them up as we as we go along. Sure. But I mentioned parks, and yeah. Hannah Fagan uh, came in as our community relations director. She had tremendous public policy experience working for Congressman Trey Hollingsworth. Okay, I mentioned Mindy and Tony and Chief Wallace and and Major McKay and uh, Tony Sorrells and and Brian Jackson and um, you know we also have this historic landmark district which is. Uh, famed uh, mm -hmm. all across the country, yeah. and that's really important to get right. And so, just great, great people. That's great um, from all all departments. Yeah, and, and, and it's, fantastic. And it sounds like several of them been in their roles for a while too, which is yeah. So they've got the right helpful. balance of uh, yeah. education and, and experience, and uh, you know, we're on a we're on a mission, and we want people to be embracing what we stand for and mm -hmm. what we stand for is really simple clean safe and beautiful yeah, and it boils down pretty easily i wouldn't ask anybody to do anything i wouldn't 
do myself. Yeah. So it's it's great to work with. Uh, not too long ago, I was interviewed, and they said, "Well, what you know, what's kind of the your your best accomplishment so far?" And I said, "It's the people. It's the people that work for the city of Madison." And if there's one takeaway that if if anybody ever wants to talk to me, they'll see how proud I am about about our team because they really care, and I see how hard they work to um, deliver s- s- services to the community uh, un- uninterrupted, even mm-hmm. heading into the third year of a global pandemic. Yeah. It's just amazing what they're able to do and how talented they are and um, all the roles that we play and how much this city of Madison means to its community. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, <clears throat> We drive the economy here. Mm-hmm. We drive tourism. We drive what's going to happen with regards to our our neighborhoods and our streets and our roads. And you know, we want to make sure that the people in Indianapolis and also in Washington D.C. Uh, know where Madison, Indiana is. And those yeah. re- those relationships are are all extremely important. We spend a lot of time cultivating and maintaining those relationships. Cool. So, so we're sitting here in your office. It's uh, what is the date today? Eighteenth, nineteenth, I think, January nineteenth. So we're a couple of weeks into the new year, twenty twenty one. It's uh, it's in the past. It's wrapped up. Uh, can we talk a little bit about how your year was in twenty twenty one? Sure. Uh, I mean, major accomplishments. Uh, how how the year went for the city? I think twenty twenty one was exceptional okay. for a variety of reasons. It's most exceptional because. We're always building into the next the next year, or we're always investing. We're always planning. We did a tremendous amount of planning that produced results in 2021, but uh, more importantly, it's going to produce a lot of results uh, moving forward too. But mm-hmm. 2021 is great because we received a five million dollar grant to help spur our re-envisioning of Madison's Main Street mm-hmm. in 2020, uh, based on an agreement that Mayor Welch had executed. Um, former State Highway 56, which runs four and a half miles from downtown to the top of Hanover Hill, mm-hmm. was relinquished to the city of Madison. And so it became our burden, but also our opportunity. Right. So the city the city has taken over ownership of Main Street. Main but, Street. But, but Main from, Street is a highway. So. Yeah, Main Street, yeah. which is a former uh, State Highway 56 from the, the west side of Jefferson Street all the way to the top of Hanover Hill. So there's about four and a half miles there. Okay. More lane miles, uh, actually, because right. some of it is yep. four lanes that now we have to figure out what do we do with and how do we maintain it? How do we upgrade it? Uh, the road was in terrible condition, um, hadn't been maintained for probably about 15 years. Lots of heavy truck traffic, mm-hmm. uh, industrial traffic between the plants, uh, the power plant and the plants over in, in Carrollton and Gent. And so yeah. from a policy perspective, we actually started before we did this this uh, this upgrade that we did toward the tail end of the year. Last year was a major, major, most complicated probably road project we've ever done in the city, where we where we uh, invested almost a million dollars just in doing some intermediate repairs. But I'd say that's also also a great success because we studied that that road a lot we Mm -hmm. studied the traffic patterns the industrial traffic we we knew that there was a policy change that had to be made in order to start moving the heavy truck traffic around the city of madison and and that process started a year earlier Mm -hmm. because there's a policy that you got to go through with city council uh councilman chatham actually Mm -hmm. uh uh, was my partner in in, uh in in looking at our weight limits and those kinds of things again too and uh 
uh, Fourth District uh, Councilman Katie Rampey was very involved in in that too. But we started doing the policy thing to, to reroute mm-hmm. heavy truck traffic so around the bypass. So does that include heavy trucks going to the power plant from downtown? They they need to go up around. They need to go around. Uh, okay. And, and so, you know what 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 we wanted to bring to the that's forefront. the worst case scenario right yeah. there right they're they're yeah. right at the edge of town but they yeah. got to go all the way around but they have to go around but we wanted to bring to the forefront the fact that over the last 30 years you know and probably mayor huntington was mm-hmm. involved in this the widening of clifty drive was intended to more efficiently and effectively okay. connect people from highway 421 around the city of madison and over to 56 and 62 and so you start looking at all the investment that had been made, we really needed to start promoting it because we wanted to make new investment downtown because, again, this is a historic district. Mm-hmm. We have um, tourism. We have businesses, restaurants. We have property owners, churches. We have a more dense, uh, different type of population mm-hmm. downtown. And uh, so we, we started working on routing them around so we could, in preparation, make the investment we needed to make in Main Street to make it a, uh, a safer, more multimodal mm-hmm. uh, type of transportation, a lot of, a lot of pedestrian activity, particularly right. with tourists and people coming downtown for the weekend and the holidays and so forth. So we had to spend a lot of time gathering data. Um, if there's going to be one takeaway from this administration is we're data-driven, where we do a lot of analysis and planning, and we did a tremendous amount of evaluation before we pulled the trigger and and decided to uh, calm the traffic down there and um, so far it's been although there are there are some people who don't like the change Mm -hmm. uh, it's been overwhelmingly positive okay but we that was part of that was a catalyst for we got a five million dollar grant to and we formed a steering committee and we started working on re-envisioning what madison's main street could be other than a state highway that moved cars from point A to point B as fast as they could go. Right. And we said it's, it's Madison's Main Street's a lot more than uh, a, a, a traffic, uh, a way to move traffic, but it's really a, That's a good point. A, it's really a place to gather people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a place to slow people down. It's, it's a place to enjoy what we have to offer. Yeah. So it, it, it went into a lot of comprehensive planning yeah. for what do we want downtown Madison yeah. to look well, like. How many days a year is Main Street closed for different festivals and stuff anyway? So trucks were, you know, they were already feeling the impact of that yeah. having to go around. So. Uh, Main Street mm-hmm. isn't closed that often, but we have a lot of street closures that are right on the sides in mm-hmm. the peripheral there that, that created uh, a lot of different types of pedestrian traffic and more dense mm-hmm. like i said our population on a typical weekend can double in size and we also have the college thereby so you know when they're in school session we have we just have a lot of people here and so we had to just start uh moving into the direction of change because we got a five million dollar grant that mm-hmm. we that's going to come to us in in fiscal year our fiscal year 2025 which isn't that far away to start yeah. working out we that was phase one uh, the revisioning for main street is going to be Probably twenty twenty five million dollars. We've already got the first oh. first five million. We've applied for another phase. We're going to do it in three phases. But we had to make some immediate repairs. And when we made these immediate repairs, we knew that let's just attack some of these other lingering issues. Which yeah. how do we make it safer for yeah. for everybody? Yeah. I think that was well, a good accomplishment. Yeah. So on top of that, um, um, the police department g- great uh, great accomplishments there. Uh, we also I was part of the uh, ready grant process with the Southern Indiana RDA and 
City of Madison's Destination Development Plan was selected for that, and we received a $50 million award for the Regional Development Authority, which we're part of. One of the largest awards in the state. There were only five regions in the entire state that were awarded uh, the maximum amount, which was $50 million. We addressed issues in our in our parks uh, department. You know, we started in 2000. Uh, at the beginning of 2021, we started our transition with Sunrise Golf Course to make it uh, a better course to play regionally, mm -hmm. make it um, more profitable. And what I mean by that is reducing the annual deficits there. Right. Right. And that already paid dividends. So we cut the annual deficit at Sunrise Golf Course by 50%. And what that allowed us to do is take that money and reinvest it in our youth uh, programming. So we just announced at the beginning of this year that our um, programming fees, you know, football and, mm -hmm. and volleyball and basketball, all, all of our youth sports, which I, I believe wholeheartedly is great for the quality of life, but also mm -hmm. for what it means to our youth to be involved in sports. There's just, there's just not much more you can gain uh, relative to character than being involved in some type of uh, extracurricular activity like sport or uh, theater or music. Mm -hmm. And our investment in Masson's music movement, but more importantly, we were able to, you know, take the savings that we had at Sunrise Golf Course and reinvest it in our parks department, make our campground better. We launched a $2.8 million restoration of Crystal Beach, which is which is iconic. That's, that, that, uh, that one's great. We I dropped mean, our fees. How many people in this county yeah. have learned to swim at Crystal Beach? You know, uh, I know I, mean, I did. I did. You know, I grew up at that pool. I, I grew up uh, and then eventually lifeguarded and managed the pool there. I don't know of any other public pool anywhere like Crystal Beach. It's one it, of a kind. It, it is. It's there have so been unique. lots of discussions over the years about closing Crystal Beach be and awful. building a pool on the hilltop, right? Yeah. It would be awful. And when I came in, we made some changes to the, the strategy at Crystal Beach. And we said, well, let's do what we need to do in order to keep this iconic, historic asset that was built in the 1930s uh, alive and well and operational for the quality of life of our community for generations to come. And so that's why we're doing a, we closed on, we did the groundbreaking for $2.8 million, $2.7 million restoration of Crystal Beach. But as I was talking to Brian about our parks department, we were able then to take these savings and reduce our uh, the fees that our that our our families uh, have to pay in order for their kids to participate in our youth program by 50 yeah. percent we slashed them yeah. and so what we're trying to do is be just more intentional have better outcomes um, run the parts of our business the parts of the city like a business that we can mm -hmm. like like our campground our pool our golf course for example they need they need to be more operational like a business and yeah. and, and also the most important thing is, when we do that, it, it creates a better experience for everybody, but it creates this organic formation of capital to reinvest in those facilities. They're mm -hmm. very, very expensive to maintain. Our parks department is suffering from millions of dollars of deferred maintenance that's occurred over a very, very long time. Yeah. Uh, frankly, lots of our of our community, and we're not unique in that regard. You no, know, we're no, always no. challenged by how do we prioritize and invest our money. And so we've got to find ways to um, create revenue where we can, and and do things that are impactful, that are that attract other capital, more investment by private enterprise and and private individuals, mm -hmm. 
It also grows our population. So we want to do resident attraction and capital attraction at the same time, and that grows our population, and that, that invests in our businesses and restaurants, and it adds more to the quality of life for Madison. But more importantly, it, it creates a better environment for those who live and work and play and go to school here and invest here. And that's what, that's what we've embarked on, which is you know, how do we create the information, the data set, and be very, very intentional to have these yeah. uh, different outcomes. But yeah. those were a few accomplishments, but so, there are so, more. So one, uh, one major yeah. event uh, last year that I recall was the flooding downtown. So where, what's being done to address that? Well, I'll say I know that, that was a big topic at the time. It was, it's sure still it's a big topic. Radar, yeah. And I'll say that I'm not sure very many administrations have been, uh, has had so many impacts, uh, external impacts on their administration than ours so soon. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we've had a, we're going into the third year of a global pandemic, yeah. which has brought with it um, shutdowns and, and high unemployment and dozens of executive orders and CDC guidelines and, and mm-hmm. public health guidelines that we have to follow. Constantly changing. And, and we're, you know, you hear that New York is a city that never sleeps. Mm-hmm. The city of Madison never sleeps either. <laughs> It really doesn't. Our services are provided 24 hours. Our services are provided 24 hours a day. Uh, when you think about public safety mm-hmm. and our utility services, and then and then during the day when everybody's here on staff, so we can't afford uh, to have any disruptions. So mm-hmm. continuity of government operations is something we talk a lot about, and how do we how do we do that? But we had we had COVID, and and we had some we had an award-winning program that we actually launched uh we were recognized by a statewide uh, agency okay. called accelerating indiana municipalities and they gave us a statewide innovation award because we started a jobs program we did a community outreach we we were out there uh working with uh, those people who were shut in in our community and went and got groceries and medicines for them and we never had any disruption of services yeah. to anybody in the community during that but uh, you know, we had some other things too. We had the, the you know the police pursuit that ended up in uh, with the the death, unfortunate death of two teenagers mm-hmm. uh, uh, in January of 2020 when I when I came into office. But what we did in 2020 and at the end of 2020 that that rolled into 2021 on that regard was, and I think what we we really led the state in this and maybe even the country. We did a full top to bottom review of our. Uh, police operating procedures mm-hmm. and that's the thing that that i think that that chief wallace and and major mckay did is they leaned into that and they knew how important it was and so we ended up amending a lot of our standard operating procedures to better educate our our police force mm-hmm. uh, add additional resources we're growing our our investment in public safety but also be able to do it um, in a way that is is more safe for for the community. So, working with our board of public works and safety and our police merit board, we made some changes there. But, you know, you talked about the flood that happened in on June eighteenth of uh, two thousand and twenty one. Devastating. Mm-hmm. Happened in an area where I grew up. I mentioned I grew up on Walnut yeah, Street. Right. So north the North Walnut <laughs> Street area, and even we had we had probably eight or nine inches of rain over a matter of a few hours, and mm-hmm. it just all of that, all that storm water that came uh, down from the Rikers Ridge area and the North Madison area, mm-hmm. all into this one watershed, Crooked Creek watershed, it overwhelmed that area. Uh, and that was the second time in six years where there was yeah. massive flooding. We did um, middle of the night uh, uh, search and water 
uh, search and rescues uh, on watercraft. Uh, I mentioned Chief DeVries and his team led that. We rescued 35 people in the middle of the night from dangerous floodwaters mm -hmm. uh, where they were trapped in the residences on, on North Walnut Street. And so we, we've been committed ever since then to do everything in our power to make sure that doesn't happen again, or if it does happen again, and we can't control the rain comes from, right, from yeah. the heavens. Yeah. So we, what we can do is channel how that stormwater is managed. And, and uh, one of the areas that, that just nags me and is a nagging, I'm sure it, it bothered all my predecessor mayors, was how do we effectively manage stormwater? Mm -hmm. We don't have great stormwater um, management policies. There's no revenue that's really created in order to address these problems. We have bad drainage across to, across our community. But in that particular night, we had we had flash flooding as far as five miles, excuse me, five miles away. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, we've been committed ever since um, to do what we can to plan better. And uh, what that is is embarked us embarked us on a journey of working with the Army Corps of Engineers. Okay. For a comprehensive uh, study of the Crooked Creek watershed, uh, we're working with the Department of Natural Resources. We're working with uh, Indiana Department of Homeland, Homeland Security, mm -hmm. Indiana Department of Transportation. It goes across all those governments, and that's where these relationships with our our state and uh, congressional leaders come into play. Because mm -hmm. we're going to need to make a multi-million dollar investment in the not too distant future, yeah. in order to prevent that from happening again. But we've already been working on it from the planning stage. We just uh, are on the tail end of a uh, vegetation remediation program where there had been tremendous overgrowth in that okay. watershed that in the narrowest, narrowest part of the channel. We're looking at how drainage comes into that area. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're prepared that it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a multi-million dollar investment. So uh, the, the, just the whole study process of that watershed, once we got past the relief air yeah. effort, right. we had to do a major relief effort too for the people who had been displaced from their homes working with the uh, uh, American Red Cross, the Salvation Army, uh, working with disaster relief organizations that, that helped us rebuild very very grateful for them city council approved it at our recommendation a, a flood relief program that you know deferred uh, fees and and we removed 160 tons of debris from wow. the, the affected area free of charge to our transfer station anything we can do to help people get back on mm -hmm. their feet but um, that that is an area where we're committed mm -hmm. uh, to finding solutions we know there are solutions there. We've already got some great ideas that we can implement. We're already implementing things that we know will make a difference the next time we have a, a heavy rain. The work's going to continue for another year uh, for us to just figure out what planning needs mm -hmm. to be done infrastructure-wise. And then we're going to have to make the, make the right investment. Yeah. What, what government is good at is spending money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What they're not so good at is investing money. Yeah. And I make that distinction because we spend money, we get appropriated money, the state tells us what our budget's going to be. But um, th what's important for us as, as policymakers is making sure we're spending that money as wisely as possible. And we make the distinction between spending and investing because you know, when you invest, what you're doing is you're preparing for the future, mm -hmm. and, you're, and you're making a difference. And there are things where we just need to spend money because it's an operational expense, and it's a day-to-day -day thing that we have to incur. But we spend a lot of time talking about the planning that's needed to make the right investments across the community. 
for years to come. Mm-hmm. And we're looking out year, two years, 10 years on the horizon because sometimes it takes that long to um, develop the strategies and, and definitely secure the financing uh, that it takes to, to yeah. do it. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough one. There, there can't be any good solutions, right? I mean, either retain the water somewhere or you make it go through faster. I mean, that's... Uh, and, we got to do a combination of, of all those yeah. things. But yeah. what we can't do, what we can't do is just uh, hope it never rains that right. hard again. Yeah. Yeah. Hope's not a plan. You know, um, Jack Johnson, if you remember him, uh, he was a, he still is a famous musician, mm-hmm. but he has a song, uh, and I refer to that uh, uh, in you know, tongue-in-cheek around here sometimes, which is sitting, waiting, and wishing. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's great for a song title. It doesn't translate very well as a strategy. Sitting, waiting, and wishing yeah. isn't a good strategy. So we got to do all the hard work and have all the hard conversations and and invest the money and, and affect the change that's necessary. Okay, guys, sorry to interrupt, but we're going to take a break right here. I'll release the second part of this conversation with Mayor Bob Courtney on Monday, January 31st. In the meantime, feel free to comment on the Facebook page. I'd like to hear what you think. And once again, if you want to keep it private, you can always reach me by email at project39pod at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you.